We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you guys listen to another episode of the Corner Podcast, make sure you guys show your support for the show by clicking on patreon.com slash the corner podcast and showing support for both Andreas and myself. We're trying to bring you guys exclusive content for the new year. That means exclusive shows, guest interviews, fan appreciation episodes, a little bit of everything on a weekly basis. And the way you get that is by signing up on patreon.com slash the corner podcast. There's different tiers, whether you guys want to donate $5, $10, or $15 a month. You guys get exclusive content and access to us, yes, both Andres and I, every single week. And this way, we can bring you guys the stuff that you want, such as merch, live shows, and even bigger episodes of The Corner Podcast in 2019. Thank you guys for your support. Now let's get into this week's show. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale, fresh back from a almost a week-long vacation at Disneyland, taking the fam out there and enjoying it. We're going to touch on that and get his thoughts, and I'm going to say why it's kind of weird for adults to always go to Disneyland, but whatever. I'm going to trigger some people, some friends of the podcast, but that's going to be a topic. Um, we're also going to touch on Jay-Z. And this NFL news, because you can't get on social media without escaping it. And we're going to talk Conor McGregor punching an old man in the face. UFC 241, New Japan G1 tournament, WWE SummerSlam, craziness going on in boxing that has nothing to do with in the ring, and more on this week's show. But, like I just said, 
Dre, first off, before I, I kind of rain on your parade and the parades of other grown ass people at Disneyland, how was your trip? It was probably one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. Um, yeah, because, I mean, look, dude, I took my family. And anybody that's listened to this, because I don't really share my personal life too much, especially not on social media, but it is one of the few times that my mother and father have spent a lot of time in one place together um, because they hated each other's guts for a long time. And uh, to have them, uh, my mother's husband, uh, my father-in-law, my niece, my nephew, my sister-in-law, and my daughter and my wife all going to Disneyland. Like Organizing 10 people to Disneyland is, like I tweeted, as one of the most challenging things I've ever done. And it's only because you're trying to keep everybody in line. Like we rented a big house. Uh, we went to wine country, like transportation. We took two cars. Um, my pops lives in Temecula, so making sure he gets out there. But man, just like, if anybody saw, like my daughter hugged everybody. Like any Disney character <laughs> she saw, she hugged. Um, Every just, single just, princess. I'm surprised you didn't have to buy the little like mock princess dresses. Oh no, no, wasn't oh, gonna do you that. You ain't there yet. Okay, okay, that that's a like smooth two hundo. Yeah, on so the mock I mean, princess dress. So there's a couple, like there's a couple things, man. Like it was it was fun because I got to see my daughter just like glow, and I got to see my niece glow, and my nephew he got sick, whatever. And I was only supposed to go for one day. We ended up going for three. Um, the old people stayed home. The young people went. We ended up going three days. So like Thursday, because on Friday I actually had to go back to L.A. to go to the Fox studio for this big piece I'm doing on Sean Porter. So Thursday I was like, oh, we're going to go home early, but we bought a three-day pass. So we ended up going to Disneyland at like 11 and stayed until like 7. And then I drove, no, no, I wanted to stay until like 8 and then drove back to Vegas, which is stupid in nice. hindsight. But yeah. And then I had to be on, I had to wake up at 6 to be on a flight. Um but man, I just I just had a blast. If, if any of y'all get to a chance, if you have kids and you get a chance to take them to Disneyland, do it. Just just do it. It's expensive as hell. Disney World is next on my list, but everybody's not gonna go to Disneyland because I ain't paying for that shit. But Disney World, I can understand because there's like Epcot, there's a whole bunch of stuff within it. Disneyland, I don't get. Have and you been to Disneyland? I've been there, taking my son to California Adventures uh, when he was like smaller, so it had to be like three or four years ago. He was really into cars, like the movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, they had Cars Land. So yeah. I had to go, and I bought him a ton of shit, and like he had the stuff, Lightning McQueen, and we went on the Cars ride, and Toe Mater comes around, and he lost his mind and marked out. It, it was crazy. He loved it, and that was great. I was probably okay in there for like six hours and then I needed to start drinking. And that's just like one day because it's just so much. Like I was like, yo, I got to get a beer. It had to be even longer than that because I'm pretty sure I took them with my ex-wife. So it was like five years ago, five and a half. And I was like, yo, it was cool, but it's like a one day festivity and it's great for the kids. Like, like you just said, seeing my son's reactions, great. The girls had a blast. They still had stuff where they had fun. There was a cool Monsters, Inc. ride at the time, like a 3D thing. and all. They had fun, too. Um, they were a little too old for the princess stuff. Maybe my middle daughter, Madison, was still into princesses. Um, that's not to say she isn't still to this day. Uh, she loves all that shit. But So she like got hugs in the pictures. So watching their interactions were fun. I don't understand how grown adult people go by themselves. 
I have friends who go and they're just couples. Again, not trying to trigger someone, but I just don't understand what there is to do. I was done after five hours. Done. I, did, so I saw did everything. You do both? Did you do both? Disneyland and California Adventure Park? Uh, yes, I did both in eight hours. So I was yeah. zipping the kids around. Yeah. Like so, I wasn't. So then, I wasn't loitering. There was no urban loitering for me. I was in and out of rides. Um, yeah, I went up to the castle. Oh, look it! There's a parade. Cool. On to the next. So therein lies the issue because it's like. The first time, like, so the first time I went last year when my daughter just didn't give a shit about anything, it was like, it was overwhelming. So I walked into Disneyland, I was like, yo, this is too much, right? There's just a lot of people here and I can't do this all in one day. When you go for three days, you get to kind of pace yourself and you get to kind of do everything and you realize that there's, it's a lot of shit to do because it's like, all right, you get on the ride, that's cool. But then there's, you know, like for my daughter, it was like the Little Mermaid ride, the Peter Pan ride, and the little kids rides. And my nephew wanted to do like the Matterhorn. And like my, my pops wanted to do the Star Wars, the Galaxy Edge thing. So there was a lot to do. But then like when you go to California Adventure Park, I started realizing like, yo, there's like little things to do here. There's cool places to eat. There's like, you know, there was a dope ass taco truck. There was there's a lot of like little things to do. So if. I can see some like not me personally like it's not something I could do routinely like I'm ready to take my kids my kid back to Disneyland because I feel like we still haven't seen everything and there was like a ton of rides like my nephew rode the um, incredible coaster like twice and my niece rode it like three times but it, there's so many like little hidden things at Disneyland that you that kind of slip through the cracks um, and you can't see them all in one day you just can't again so, you put the nephews and the nieces and your daughter, all in this conversation. That I understand. I don't understand why two grown-ass people... Like, I, I've had friends who had year-long passes. Yeah. Friends in Vegas that drive from Vegas to L.A. to go to Disneyland. Oh, it's the happiest place on Earth. I wasn't that happy then. I had more fun at Universal, and probably because I'm a huge Harry Potter mark. So, like, I went Harry Potter. I got the wand... I went, I stood in the long ass line, I rode the ride. No, you just answered your own question. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. You just answered your own question. There are people who, are, who love Disney. Pixar, Disney, and they will go, like, just like you're a mark for Harry Potter, they're a mark for Disney. And, again, it, it, it is the happy, like, legitimately, as you're walking through there, I'm like, yo, you just can't be mad. It's like the happiest place on earth. Like, Do you like always, zoos? Like, Do you go to zoos as well? I hate zoos. Okay. I took my daughter to it. I like go took ahead, my daughter ahead. to the San Diego Zoo, and I was like, "This is just way too much walking." Yeah, the, the walking gets me. Like, okay, at least we're on the same page. I hate walking through the zoo. That's kind of my my downfall of going to Disneyland. Even though Disneyland to me seems more compact, maybe because there's something to do like every two steps. The zoos are horrible because you're just walking around looking at animals, and they're super far apart. Um, but yeah, no, like Disneyland was a little bit better, but still, I was like. It was very, I guess, kiddish to me. Universal's more of my bounce. Universal, I can see. There's like some more adult style stuff. There was like a, a lot tour, so you get to see where people film movies and all that stuff. I, I don't know. For kids, I can get Disneyland. I can understand that. But for two grown-ass adults, I, I don't get the magic. But you see, you're a Harry Potter fan, so the, the, the same could be thrown right back at you. Harry Potter is not for children. Let's let's make that very clear. Uh, Harry Potter is not a children's novel. 
It is a normal novel. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there. Right, let's just let's just make like if that's the case, Star Wars fans got a beef too. Like, it, it's not a children's novel. It's more Star Wars than it is, you know, Little Mermaid. It's not. It's not for kids. Grown ass people like Harry Potter more than like cartoons. But you so. kind of grew up with Harry Potter too, as well, correct? I did. Okay. I mean, I you know came out when I was like in fifth grade. I read it all the way through. There's an there attachment. There you go. It's like it's childhood, man. Like if if your childhood, like for me, I'm riding the Little Mermaid. Like not to say I do this again, but I'm riding the Little <laughs> Mermaid ride, and I'm like, yo, I know all these songs, and there's no reason I should really know all these songs, but it's because when I grew up and saw the Little Mermaid, like I watched it a lot as a kid. I don't know why, I just did. So it was like my childhood was coming back to me. So some people want to like to get a break from reality. You go to Disneyland or you go over wherever you go where your childhood still lives. Like, dog, don't let there ever be like a, a Transformers Generation One theme park. I would lose my mind, like straight up. Yeah, like, I feel like that's how Star Wars people act now in L.A. Is that at Disney? Yeah, like Star, Star Wars Star- Land. Like I'm yeah, sure listen, people lost their shit for that. Like my pops was like a child. Because you can build your own droid, and he was like legit, like like giddy as hell. I'm like, <laughs> yo, he's like, you could just build your own droid. It costs like a hundred dollars. I'm like, I ain't buying that shit. But yo, like, he's a Star Wars mark, so more power to him. It's just whatever your childhood, whatever you grew up admiring as a child, or whatever stuck with you, that's that going to Disneyland or going to these theme parks or whatever it is. That's where it's at. That's what you relive, and it kind of takes you away from the real life of the world. So. That was my experience at Disneyland. Like, as I guess much- I, I, I can't crush it. We go to wrestling for like ten hours. That's like I'm saying. <laughs> We're grown like, ass people. Look at us, like that's childish. But yeah. yo, like that's my life. Like if they had, like if they ever completed that WWE theme park that they once upon a time talked about. Oh man, I'd have a season pass. <laughs> go in there and you just go on different sets. Oh, yeah. imagine the bash at the beach set. Oh, Come it'd on. be over. Yeah, no, okay, I get it. I mean, I, we do weird shit, too. I just, I, I don't, it just seemed, like, really long. And it's, I don't know, maybe I guess my attachment to Disney isn't there. And I like Disney. I'm just not, I guess, a super fan, like some people are. Um, kudos to you with your parenting t-shirt with Mufasa on it, though. My daughter picked it out. And I oh. thought it was kind of weird, because I was like, yo. Great taste. She was like. <laughs> A dad gold shirt, and I was like, "Yo, didn't Mufasa die though?" <laughs> like, I was like, "What are you telling me, kid?" So, yeah. But other than that, man, we had the the ears. I didn't wear mine in all the pictures, but yeah, it was a great trip. And then it's just like, like I came back, like I I took a trip, and which was we, finally we're getting to combat sports in a little bit here because I know people are like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, but it's like, yo, I'm on this trip, and I'm like, yo, I'm going on this trip. It's a dead week in combat sports. Nothing's going to happen. I get a phone call. They're like, you ready to go to Saudi Arabia? I'm like, what? You know, the, the Joshua Ruiz fight, which we're going to talk about later because that thing is a fucking mess. You may or may not be going to Saudi Arabia. So let's, let's put that one on hold for a second. Um, yeah, before we move over and talk about this Jay-Z stuff that's been crazy and all over the Internet, since you are, like, you know, fresh off this Disneyland trip and you're the happiest guy on earth there, what are your top three theme parks? I'm not a big theme park guy, so... I'm not a big theme park guy. Okay, like, nah. I don't ride roller coasters. I'm definitely scared of heights. I used to. I don't anymore. I don't I do don't... that shit. I don't do anything that might kill me. I'm not going to pay money to possibly die. 
See, I grew up and I was just like, what is this obsession with death that I used to have? Like the the, the idea of feeling like I'm going to die is something I want to do because I don't want to really die. So I stopped riding roller coasters. And then it, they, they hurt. Like I was riding roller coasters and I was like, yo, I don't, it hurts. <laughs> I don't yeah, want to do this uh, no more. I took my, my kids to like this Cowabunga Bay water park here in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we're going down. And it's like, I only got on one ride and we were racing. It's like you get on like a boogie board type thing. And you race down this big ass slide and it has like four big dips and there's six lanes. So you guys can race each other on the way down. And it was uh, like me, Elena and our four kids who were with us at that. So we were all racing each lane. My son got stuck after the first dip and it's like 30 feet up. Hmm. So he got stuck on the thing. They had to stop everything. The person had to come up, crawl up there and get him. He was up there for like 20 minutes. Shit was crazy. And I was like, you know what? This is why I don't ride ride. And it just, and he was fine with it. Like, he took that shit like a champ. If I'm stuck 30 feet in the air, it's over. I'm panicking. I'm thrashing. Like, he was just chilling, looking over the edge, talking to me. It was fucking bananas. But it reminded me why I don't do rods. <laughs> it really does. So maybe I'm just, like, a grouch about all theme parks, too. So I'm glad you're not, like, heavy into it. But, uh, yeah, what's your top three? Disneyland has to be in. Yeah, obviously, I mean, Disneyland, but, like, dude, I didn't go to theme parks really when I grew up. I went, like, Universal Studios, like, once. Um, I went to Legoland, like, this year. So, like, everything I've done is is really been as an adult. So, Legoland was dope. Um, and I, I can't even think of anything else. See, it's not that that's going to be my favorite, so you have to give yours. Mine is, like, super East Coast heavy because we used to go on, like, those summer camp trips where mm-hmm. you paid, like, $30. And they'll take you to Pennsylvania to go to different parks. The shit was dope. So um, mine is Sesame Place is number one in Pennsylvania. So all my uh, crazy East Coast people know what I'm talking about. It's in Pennsylvania. I forgot where it is. But the Rubber Ducky Ride is like one of the tallest water slides in the world. And you can see Pittsburgh from the top of the ride. And that shit's not close to Pittsburgh. So you can like see the skyline. That shit's crazy. So uh, Sesame Place is incredible. Second, Donnie Park. Um, that was super dope. And I rode runner rides there, and that shit really, I don't even remember it. But I remember they had the best games, like the basketball joints. Like it's a full court for you to actually make the shots and you get the stuffed animals. I had to spend $50 every time I went. Just, <laughs> just playing ball. Like this shit's not free everywhere else. And winning stuffed animals. And then I ate funnel cake. They have the best funnel cake. So uh, I was also like really fat at that time. It had to be like fifth or sixth grade when I was very chubby. So uh, that was great. And then Disney World, because Epcot is probably the best thing ever invented. Yeah, I got. I'm planning to go there, but just have to done. Yeah, that it's yet. like video game heaven. Like you could just do wild shit, and um, everything there is great. And that's more like okay, cool. I can see an adult going to Disney World and having a blast. Uh, Disneyland is a little weird. So those are my top three. East Coast people know what I'm talking about on the um, Donnie Park and Sesame Place. So those are really fun. Both are water parks, though. And I can just go in the Lazy River. Worst comes to worst. I am the king of the Lazy Rivers. I'll be in there five hours. Just tell the kids, go ahead. Don't bother me. Chill in Lazy River. So uh, those are my top three theme parks. Uh, to move on to the next topic, uh, 
Man, all right, we can't spend too much time on this, but I feel like there's a ton to talk about, and uh, we'll try to unpack this more in our Patreon episode this week. But Jay-Z signs this deal to be pretty much head of entertainment for the NFL, him and Rock Nation. Um, it doesn't mean that he's going to perform, per se, but Rock Nation will be in charge of deciding who performs where and what acts fit best. And Jay-Z is obviously the frontman for this. Now, people are giving him a lot of shit because they feel like he kind of turned his back on the Kaepernick. Not kind of, he did. They, they feel like he turned his back on Kaepernick's movement and the kneeling and the social protest and sided with the NFL. And now they want to cancel Jay-Z. Dre, I feel like we talk about this cancel culture every other week. Is it too much again? I feel like I know where you're going to go with this. I feel like it has to be too much, right? Like every time we're like, yo, we're so quick to cancel someone. We, yeah. we, didn't look, even see, we don't even know what this deal entails. I, look, I, like I said from the beginning, anybody has asked me, I reserve judgment on this until I see some action. Um, because I think we have this idea of what we want people to be and what we want them to represent and what they should be doing with their money and how they should be doing things that – when they do something that we don't think they should be doing, we are very critical of that move and, and we are very reactionary to what people do. And we don't necessarily follow through. Like immediately when something happens, we're, we're out here tweeting, writing articles, reaction, reacting, reacting. Don't know the details about shit, but we're out here just reacting. Not a damn. And then, you know, as months pass, there's no follow through. And, and that doesn't go for everybody because there's certain people that have been critical about the Jay-Z move that I know will stay on top of it. But for the most part, cancel Jay-Z. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Because, like, there, there, there are two sides of this. Because there's, there's the Jay-Z that helped produce this Khalif Browder documentary and this Trayvon documentary. And there's been um, the Free Meek piece that's on Amazon Prime. Like, he's been behind those things. So it's like, you're canceling that guy? Now, if you disagree with the NFL move, that's cool. But you just got to disagree. Like, canceling somebody is, is stupid because they're not you. You can't tell somebody what to do with their money or how they want to do it. And the whole, I mean, look, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Obviously, you know, Eric Reed has come out and say, said some things. Ness has come out and said some things about who communicated with who and doing what. Dog, I don't know what this deal entails because there is some supposedly some social justice um, matter at hand as well. So I don't know what this is, but I'm not canceling Jay-Z over it. Would I have done it? Maybe not. But I don't know the inner workings of this. And I say this because as somebody who was you know, was critical. Like I was trashing BET before I went there. Like yeah. I destroyed BET every chance I got before I got there. When I got the opportunity to work there, which I thought was crazy, I, I legitimately thought it was a joke because when Kim Osario called me, I was like, yo, y'all like y'all must have read my articles and you want to like jump me or some shit. But they wanted to hire me. And the way I thought about it, I was just like, yo, you can only you can only affect something from the inside talking about it doesn't necessarily do a whole lot but if you have the opportunity to fix something internally you take that opportunity and you do what you can if it doesn't work out like i did i wrote a letter about it and i blasted them for it but they they seemed like they wanted to be on the right path but they really didn't so i took that opportunity to do it now if the social media era existed while i was writing these articles and i would and i would announce they would bt announce andreas hill joins as executive editor of music People would have destroyed me, but had no idea what my plan was. I had a plan when I went there. 
And Jay-Z may have a plan. He may not have a plan. But y'all got to wait and see the shit through. Being critical right off the jump, all it does is make everything divisive. And when we're divisive, like, this is the reason Trump became president. Because we're splitting, like, we're splitting sides. Now we got people that's on Jay-Z's side and people that's on Kaepernick's side. Meanwhile, people like Trump, their base is strong. I say this all the time. It's the reason why he's going to get reelected. Like, the Democratic candidates are a royal rumble. It's like 30 people. So if, like, Kamala doesn't, isn't the nominee, people are going to be like, I ain't voting. Or if Bernie's not the nominee, people are going to be like, I ain't voting. Or Biden, like, there's no one person that everybody's going to get behind. So us publicly debating Jay-Z's move, and I say this very clearly, publicly debating Jay-Z's move, is kind of counterproductive until something happens. And it's not counterproductive in terms of, like, Jamel Hill wrote an article, which I haven't read yet, which I'm going to do once I'm done with this. That's fine. Like, she can be critical because she's in a, in a higher position than you sitting behind your keyboard being critical about some shit you think is going to happen. So. But people feel that entitlement now. Right. Like people feel like as though their voice is Jamel's voice. Like she earned this shit over what, 15, 20 years of writing. They feel like they have that same level of credibility with with a lot less facts. I mean, dude, look, look, a lot of people put their blood into what they do. Right. And like somebody like Jamel Hill has received criticism for the stances that she's taken on a higher level. Like. Dude, our podcast isn't what Jamel Hill was doing on the six on yeah. Sports Center, right? So like she took a lot of heat. So it's like when you have salt and blood in the game, you have you can speak on some of these things, right? And that's your job to be critical of the culture. But everybody else, like when y- y'all not even involved in nothing, all you do is sit at home and watch football on Sunday, shut the fuck up. Because more importantly, like, and we'll talk about this with the Saudi Arabia with the Joshua Ruiz thing. Like, if you're going to cancel one thing, you need to cancel everything. You can't pick and choose what you want to boycott, what you want to cancel if you're trying to make a change. If you're going to cancel it, cancel it. So you can't cancel Jay-Z's move with the NFL, but then you turn around and support Beyonce uh, or a Jay-Z song or watch the Trayvon Martin documentary. Like, you have to. You can't cancel. (laughs) You can say, I disagree. You say, I I didn't like this move. They're pressing pause on stuff. that's yeah, what they're like, doing. Dog, Press like, and pause. You ain't canceling shit. No, nah, just just say I disagree with that. Like, there's a lot of things I don't rock with, and that's cool. You can disagree with a lot of things, but canceling people, y'all out of control, and need to chill out because all it does is make us all look stupid at the end. Because there is no follow through. Y'all don't really cancel shit. No, at look all. at it. yo. I remember not too long ago, what six months ago, people were saying we're too hard on Kanye. You know what? Kanye's flipped yeah. over a new leaf. He's in Chicago. He's in the streets. And him and Kim are giving back and all this stuff. Cool. And then, like, three months after, he's right back on this Trump shit. I'm like, whatever, man. And, and just not even that that's what he supports. You support whatever you want. Just with his, like, his fake and false rhetoric behind why he's doing shit. So I'm like, yo, like, people are so wishy-washy. It's, it's literally what is going on today. And it's in a vacuum, and it's such a microwave culture that it's like, I'm so mad, this person's canceled, or no, this person's so great. There's no gray area. There's no waiting. Like you say on album reviews, which is why you really don't fuck with it no more, which is why you don't do it. There's no, there's no buffer period. Yeah. You can't sit with anything. And this is like that next thing. It's like, like you said, it was a great case in point. It was like, 
you took the BET job because you know what? You were highly critical. They hired you after being highly critical, and you wanted to change what you were critical of. And to me, that's the smartest way we can go about anything. Now, should Jay-Z have called Colin Kaepernick and asked him if he could take this? I'm not sure if anyone has that liberty. Like, what, what sense does that make? Now, is it wrong Colin Kaepernick's blackballed? Of course. I think Jay-Z will tell you that it's wrong. But I don't know if another man should call him, call Kaepernick and be like, hey, is it okay if I take this job? Like, like uh, Kaepernick doesn't want to do why that, do we sure. even assume? Like, he doesn't want to be the voice of black people. friends like that? Yeah, like, he like, shouldn't but, be the end-all, be-all of black people in the NFL. And he doesn't want to. I just, like, I just find this all. It's so weird. So people are like, oh, he didn't ask Kaepernick. So? Like, him asking Kaepernick and Kaepernick saying yes isn't going to get Kaepernick back into the league. Was he supposed to ask Kaepernick and Kaepernick supposed to say, yo, take that, but only if they let me back in the league. Like, go to the NFL with an ultimatum. Like, is this what people want? Like, is this how they think this shit works? I, I, I don't Again, understand. Again, there's always two sides to every story, and there's always, you know, you know, not everybody always sees eye to eye for the, the progression of the movement, right? Like, there are people who just disagree. Like, Malcolm and Martin disagreed. And imagine if social media existed when there was Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And people Crazy. would have been like, nah, I'm on. I, Malcolm X is canceled. I'm you know, say Malcolm's canceled every other day. Yeah, no. yeah like it, it's ridiculous. So it's like for us to assume that everybody that's down with the cause, as we perceive it to be, are friends and should all be communicating each other is false. Like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton may not be tight, guys. Surprise. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we can't keep assuming that people should be calling other people. I mean, it sounds nice in theory. Now, where it gets fishy is if somebody says, I did talk to him, and then you didn't. That's yeah. different. But we should, like, I don't need to ask nobody permission for shit. I just don't. I'm a grown man. If I want to do this deal, I'm going to do this deal. Like, if Catherine doesn't like it, maybe they disagree. Maybe they had a conversation. They disagree on the vision. I don't know what it is. All I'm saying is, let's see this thing through. Because there are things that Jay-Z has done. Like, people say, oh, well, Jay-Z's about to doubt. Yes, he is. I don't know why you guys are so shocked. This has been Jay-Z's MO from the beginning. From the but beginning. But he's also been very clear about, like, the dollar is going to be the reason why some of these things exist. Why, they're, like, you can't do a Khalif Browder documentary on the Paramount Network without the money. You can't. There's a lot of armchair revolutionaries out there that are very much like, yo, I would never do this. Well, that's why you broke it at home. You can't have it broke both ways. So you have to take the good with the bad. Some people are going to have to make sacrifices in order for certain things to exist for our consumption. And Jay-Z has done some things that we may think are morally inept. But at the end of the day, you're watching that Khalif Browder documentary, that Trayvon documentary, the Free Meek documentary. Those things are important to the culture. So you don't have to agree with all the methods. But look, just pick a side. Like, just stop half-ass canceling people. Just kind of wait for things to play out. Because, like, if Jay-Z is an advocate for Kaepernick getting blackballed and he says that, yeah, fuck Jay-Z. <laughs> but Jay-Z has – he's done enough things where you can kind of go, you know what? I'm going to see this thing through and I'm going to wait and give it an opportunity. I may disagree with it, but I'm going to see this through. Just cut out all the canceling shit. Yeah, this shit's ridiculous. And uh, we'll talk about, like, more of the grand scheme, like Kaepernick shit, and uh, just how leagues are now kind of using – not, I don't know if it's purposeful or not, but these faces of black culture to boost their products and to boost 
their, uh, I don't want to say morale, but just how, how people view them. And we see oh, more and more perfect. companies doing this. So we'll tackle that in our Patreon episode, though, because I also think it's on purpose. And we'll dive into, you know, just people using black culture and the black movement now, the equality movement and everything. We, we see that shit on merch. Like Nike has equality merch. That's doing numbers. So we'll, yeah. we'll tackle that on the Patreon episode as well. If you guys have Patreon, make sure you guys check that out. If you don't, you're missing out. So make sure you guys get that, um, the Corner Podcast on Patreon. Let's finally get to some combat sports. Dre McGregor slapping old men. Just quick. And it, was, it wasn't even like a full punch. It was like a bang, take this slap. And uh, yeah, he's, he's hitting. I don't want to call, call it old men. People at my job today at the, at the news station was like, yo, these guys look like they're in their 50s or 60s. 50s and 60s aren't old. I was like, okay, if you say so. So, uh, whatever. So he's slapping grown men in the face. Caught the guy with the left hand because he wouldn't drink proper 12. I have a bottle of proper 12 whiskey over here in my, my little liquor cabinet. It's not bad, Dre. Maybe the guy's on the wagon. But outside of that, he's sitting at a bar. Why won't he accept the drink? Is Connor right to slap this man? No, I mean, come on. It's never right to slap anybody. Listen, but... we don't know how people get down in Ireland. You, you but, pass up a drink in Ireland, that shit might be disrespect. I will say this, though, because this is kind of important to this. We don't know, like, we really don't know the context of what happened. <laughs> at all. And, and I'm not saying that makes Conor McGregor right. I'm not saying that at all. But I am going to say it's very important that sometimes we know, this is, this is exactly what I talk about being so goddamn reactionary. Conor is nuts, okay? We know that. <laughs> Like, there's something's wrong with Connor. That's why he was a caged fighter. Yeah. Like, so, what if, you know, what if the guy, gave, like, talked about his mother or some shit like yeah. that? Like, I, I don't know the context of what happened because it just seems silly that Connor was like, here, I offer you a drink. And he says no. And then he, like, jabs at him. Like, there's got to be more to it. So, I, I'd like to know what else there is to it. Connor's wrong. But then again, like, this is another thing. It's like poking the bear, right? Like, so when Mike Tyson used to do shit and people were like, you know, when Chris Rock made that joint, the joke, the tiger went tiger. Yeah. <laughs> his whole life. So when, like Mike Tyson would do something, people were like, Mike Tyson, I can't believe it. No, the tiger went tiger. The yeah. tiger didn't, like, Mike Tyson didn't do anything crazy. The tiger went tiger. So kind of doing what, what he's doing. I don't know why he's doing it, but... Ugh. We're not shocked. It's, That's just I mean, coming. get kicked out of the UFC? No, he's not even in the UFC. You can't get kicked out of shit you're not in. I don't know what's he, going on. He so. owns his own company. He's not going to fire himself from a liquor company for, for jabbing at a dude with the left hand. Like, I, I feel like he'll be right. He might get the guy, what, like $30,000? Like, you take $30,000, take a, a love tap from Conor McGregor. I feel like it's worth it. So he'll set it out of court just yeah. like the guy I mean, who smashed his phone and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's dumb. I feel like this, this is something. Maybe it's just being here in Vegas. And we cover fights and we're on the strip all the time. This shit happens all the time. Like being at bars, I've seen yeah. people just get caught with one at a bar. You don't need much reasoning. People are, both people are drunk. One person says something slick. End of discussion. You catch him with one punch, cool. You live. 
Like no, yeah. one, no one got shot, no one got stabbed. <laughs> it's cool. Like listen, sometimes you just gotta. Oh, watch your mouth. Boom. Eat this jab. So. It, it's, saying, I don't. I don't condone it. I'm just saying. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I'm not rushing to judgment. And if it's me, you know what? Shit happens. That's that's all I can say. The guy's a fighter. He decided to fight. I'm not surprised. Everyone's acting like it's the end of the world. I mean, I look at it more so like this. That dude's about to get paid. That, like, punch oh, yeah. me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, go, like, it wasn't even a knockout punch. punch. It was a check. That's what I'm saying. He about to get paid. So, and again, it's just kind of being Connor, man. Like, the Tiger went Tiger. So what? And I don't even mean so what. Like, it's, it's uh, obviously, it's not a good thing, but whatever. I, I don't, <laughs> like, again, it's one of those things I just, I just don't care that much. I don't care. I mean, but Connor's front page ESPN today for it. So, but, but it's because he's Connor. Yeah, I mean, he could do anything to be front page, I mean, at this point. And, but every antic, I don't know how close he gets to being back in the octagon. That's my only thing. I'm not sure if he fights again now. And I've always been of the perception yeah. that he's going to fight again. I, I mean, look, I, I look at Connor as one of those guys where this might be the point in his career, like he's going to fight because he needs it. And I've said it before, man. Like, I don't know where he's going to end up, uh, you know, in his career because it just seems like Connor has a few screws loose, uh, which is, and strangely enough, it's like the exact opposite of Nate Diaz, who's fighting this weekend, where Nate clearly seems like he has a few screws loose, but he don't really get into this kind of shit. No, like I mean, he, if anybody remembers the the the, uh, the Strike Force brawl with the Diaz brothers and like the whole scrap pack was fighting in in the uh, the cage after the Jake Shields fight, was it? I can't remember. Somebody's gonna correct me on I think this. So. But um. It was on network television. It was a straight-up brawl after the fight was over. They were like, this is a disgrace to the sport. I can't believe this happened. And now Nate Diaz is like... Nate Diaz is the most mediocre fighter with the biggest, like... He's like one of the biggest stars. Yeah. I mean... It didn't, it didn't stop him. Yeah, that's very true. Between him and Cowboy, they're just they're riding the wave. But we did see Diaz fight here in Vegas at, like, World Series of Fighting card, too. Against uh, Khabib, I think. Yes, the, the like the, the Mega Metal brothers versus the Diaz brothers. Like they straight up <laughs> fought in the crowd. Like, and and obviously Conor punching somebody who's not a fighter is it's a bad thing. Like again, I'm making this clear. This is not a good thing. But it's just like I, I see it making news, and I'm like, all right. But if it wasn't Conor, would it be that big of a deal? Yeah. It'd be a big deal, but it's like a huge deal because it's Conor. Whatever. We he is who he is. I'm not surprised. Not surprised. That is the key behind it. Um, let's talk about UFC 241. Some actual fighting. With, you know, pro fighters fighting pro fighters. So, that's coming up this weekend. The card, to me, is okay. Like, it's kind of a light card. But they just had one two weeks ago. So, we look at the prelims. It's, no, it's top heavy. Yeah, I mean, Asensio was on the prelims. Um, versus Corey Sandhagen, which is a good fight. Um, this Devontae Smith kid is headlining, it looks like. So, good spot for him. Um, no need to pick either of those fights. I expect Devontae Smith to win. Uh, coming into the main card, though, we have Derek Brunson. Uh, who is he fighting? Ian Heinsch? 
<laughs> um, I think Brunson's kind of past his prime, though. Brunson's the gatekeeper. So I'm going to say yeah. Brunson takes this L. I'm not a big yeah. Derek Brunson guy. Uh, Derek, I mean, Derek, he's, he's, he's good for what he is, right? Like, uh, I don't want to say he's like the Elias Theodoro of the UFC who ended up getting cut. But I mean, he just lost to Derek Brunson's Brunson. Brunson's a guy so he who got cut. <laughs> he's, he's had his ups and downs. Um, and he beat Theodoro. I mean, he lo- yeah, he beat the- Theodoro. Yeah. That's when Theodoro got cut. That's when he got cut. Um, it's like Brunson's lost out of Sonya. He lost to Jacare. Um, but he's beat like Leona Machida. Like, Lost he's a, to Anderson he's a Silva guy. Like, in a very boring fight. Yeah, like everybody, everybody's not going to be the best fighter in the world. Some guys are going to be fine. So it's really a matter of can Derek Brunson be entertaining? Um, I guess Heinstitch, who I've heard about and I've heard he's pretty good. I have not got a chance to watch one of his fights, uh, but I've just heard things. It's really a matter of can Derek Brunson be a guy? Like if you're going to be a gatekeeper in the UFC, it seems clear for Dana and whatever his agenda is and whether he keeps a cut fighters is either you're going to have the skills to move up the ladder or you're entertaining enough that I can put you to open up a show and people are interested. So I think that's kind of what we're looking at with Derek Brunson. Like, is he going to be entertaining or is he going to win? It's one of those two things. If he sucks and loses, he might get cut. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, he just won. So I don't think he gets cut. But I think it's a good role for him as gatekeeper. So I expect him to go out there. I'm not going to say he gets finished, but I think he gets he gets beat. So we'll see. If he pulls this one out, then cool. Then this, you know, Ian Kidd isn't ready. But it's, it's the perfect role for Derek Brunson at this time in his career. So that's going to be yeah, I'm not going to make a prediction. I just haven't I haven't seen enough of dude to 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 make a suggestion. I, I know that sounds awful. When people are like, but you cover MMA, man. I just got back from Disneyland. Yeah, no, Sorry, I mean, guys. there's there's a lot of guys. Honestly, there's a lot of guys just getting to this level a lot earlier. Because the UFC, yeah, I mean, it's it's thinner than they've been in years, and they they stretch these cards out so much. They're packing so many cards into a year that. We don't get to see these guys that, you know, work their way up through the prelims. Through the, like, you, you blink, and they're on the main card. So it's like, no, I haven't seen him fight. Have you? Like, not watching Cage Warriors, you know, 278? Like, I'm, I'm just not doing that. So a lot, of these, a lot of these kids are just coming out of nowhere, it seems. Um, you know, the, the next fight is the same thing. Gabriel uh, Benitez versus Sadiq Youssef. Like, it's a yeah. showcase fight. Or it should be. Well. For Sadiq, I, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen him enough. Like, I, I can't I can't call it. I mean, he beat uh, Shaman Moraes three rounds, and then he was on fight night one, 142. I'm like, I, I haven't seen the kid enough. So one knockout, one decision, win in the UFC. Like, that's that's not enough to show me anything. Guy has ten fights. I know, and that, and that's it's one of those fights where you, they're trying to establish some rising talent in the featherweight division. So, and I've seen, I've actually seen Sadiq fight, and I'm going to go on a limb and pick him here um, because he's pretty good. Even though Gabriel Benitez, I uh, believe he beat Jason Knight, if I remember correctly, he did. And so he's, it's it's a it's a good it's a good fight, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's going to be tough to pick a guy to win because we don't really know what Sadiq Youssef has got to offer. 
um, against stiffer competition. I don't even know if Gabriel Benitez is stiffer competition, so I'm going to go with uh, Super Sadiq Youssef. All right. All right. So a fight between two fighters we actually know. Yoel uh, um, Romero versus Paulo Costa. It seems like we've seen Paulo Costa fight uh, a lot, and Costa's been good. And, you know, since the name change and everything, he's been rocking. He looks the part, but he still only has 12 fights against a guy like Yoel Romero, who, which is incredible, only has 16. How is that possible? Um, I, it feels like we've seen these guys fight forever. And you look at it, Romero's been close to the top so many times. And this fight is supposed to be done so many times. It's going to be tough for Costa. And to me, I don't know if he has it. Even with Romero being, what, 42 now? I'm going to take you out. Yeah, see, this, this is a tough fight to pick. Because Borachin is just, he's looked like a monster. It, for a while, it looked like it'd be Paul Costa and Israel Adesanya fighting at one point. But Izzy got the boost before uh, Borachin did. So it's like, now you, now you got a, a seasoned guy like Romero, who is truly the litmus test to find out how good Paulo Costa is. And I don't know, because I don't think your Romero's done. And he's still got that huge right hand. But I'm going to do this, because I feel like if there was ever a fight for Yoel Romero to get old, this would be it. So I'm going to pick Paulo Costa, despite Paulo being the underdog. I'm going to pick Boricina to win this fight. I don't think it goes the distance either. Damn. I don't think it goes the distance. Somebody's getting knocked out. The thing that hurts me with Romero is he's fought once in 2016, once in 2017, once in 2018, and this will be his first fight of 2019. That's not good when you're in your 40s. Like, you fight five times since you were 36. Like, it, to me, I'm not sure. Sooner or later, that's a sign that your body's breaking down. So that is the only thing that makes me a little iffy. The talent's still there. You know, he's lost to Robert Whitaker, who's had great performances against him uh, twice. But, you know, he's had good performance outside of that, beating Weidman. Um, who else did he beat? Luke Rockhold. And everyone beats Luke Rockhold now. But <laughs> that they are still impressive when he did it. So, I don't know. Costa have to come and, and show me something. But this is a great showcase fight for him. And... Uh, he has the makings of a really good star-making fight for Costa. And maybe, you know, this propels him up to that spot to be a number one contender. Um, Co-main time, though, Anthony Pettis versus Nate Diaz. Two big names. I'm not sure. I'm still not sure what Pettis is at 170. To me, he was getting worked by Wonder Boy and then caught him with a Superman punch and it was over. So I'm not sure what he is. I'm not sure if that finishing power will always be there, especially at 170. I'm going to pay Nate Diaz to piece his ass up. All right, this is this is like this is weird, man. Like Nate Diaz's career record is 19 and 11. Correct. Okay. He hasn't fought. In almost, it'll be three. It would have been three years in four days. So he hasn't fought in three years. And before that, he lost. He fought two fights with Conor McGregor, and he beat Michael Johnson. He lost to RDA. He beat Gray Maynard in 2013. He got knocked out by Josh Thompson. He got beat by Benson Henderson. 
his credentials aren't even close. He never was a champion. Anthony Pettis was a champion, right? Correct. But the tricky thing is we don't know, like, we don't know who Anthony Pettis is anymore because he just hasn't been the same guy. This is a weird, weird, weird fight because I don't know who Nate Diaz is going to be in that octagon. I feel like Nate Diaz trains year-round and is always ready to fight somebody or something, whether it's somebody trying to take his weed or if it's a guy in the octagon. I feel like Nate Diaz is always ready to fight. I just, I'm really curious what Anthony Pettis shows up. So, if this turn, and, and the other thing is that's always been interesting about Nate Diaz, is Nate Diaz has always figured out how to take a striker out of his game, and it's the weirdest thing, like Donald Cerrone, Conor McGregor, because Nate Diaz can weather a bunch of punishment. You have to catch him on the button to put him away, like uh, Josh Thompson did when he head kicked him. I was about to say or, it was only you know, kick, like or you have, you, that was the only time he's been finished, right? Or he wasn't even. The ref stepped in and stopped it. He yeah, wasn't even out like, like you have to put him away. But he's tough. That's the thing about Nate Diaz is if he's tough. And if you go in there with the aim to stop him, you're probably going to get worn down. It's a three-round fight, which kind of works in Anthony Pettis' favor. So I'm going to say that Anthony Pettis has been a little sharper. So I'm going to pick Pettis by decision. Not with a ton of confidence, but I'm just, I just look at this like, damn, man. Nate Diaz hasn't fought in three years. Three years is a long-ass time to not fight anybody. Three I think he's conditioned. But then if he... If, and if he if he did fight in this past, like if he was active, I don't even know what Nate Diaz's record would be right now, because I mean obviously the big fights have been the McGregor fights, but outside of that, what's been his biggest victory? Yeah, it's been rough. I don't, I don't know. I guess it's Donald Cerrone. Aside from McGregor, the biggest victory of Nate Diaz's career is Donald Cerrone when Cerrone was one fight away from a title shot. And everybody thought Cerrone was going to run Nate Diaz over. And Nate Diaz talked so much shit to him that Donald stood in front of him for three rounds and got pieced up. Yep. I don't Michael think Johnson, Pettis will fall for that track. That, yeah, that's about it, man. Like, it, it's nothing recent. But we can see, like, I, Nate's just like, so awkward Is there another striker. fighter who has... No, it, like, like, think about this. Is there another fighter who is, is as, as me... And I, like, I'm not counting BJ Penn. Because BJ Penn was considered a legend, yep. but but is there been anybody who's had such a relatively mediocre career that's been this much of a star? It's crazy. Damn, mediocre is a tough fucking word because no one's been like that. Me besides Cowboy Cerrone, um, I, I think Cowboy's the equivalent of that. He's a star, but he fights all the damn time. So that's where his star is built. He'll fight anyone on any day. Um, so that's what makes Cerrone a star. Mediocre, what? It might be blasphemous, but I mean, do- is that is this where we're putting Uriah Faber? <laughs> I I don't know if I'm not trying to no, call I Uriah mean, mediocre though. Listen, Nate Diaz's biggest win is against Donald Cerrone. No, his biggest win is against Conor, Conor McGregor. McGregor. When Conor McGregor moved up in weight, yeah, and the, and Pettis yeah, is Conor again McGregor, a blown up, you know, a, a blown up. Lighter guy. He's a blown-up lightweight. So it's a, it's a similar thing to Conor moving up. No, not really, because Conor moved up in like 14 days. Okay. And fought, and, and fought yeah. him. Anthony is... Pettis has had a whole training camp. Yeah. The guy's a year removed away it, from I, competing at like featherweight. It, it, it's, it's just weird because, again, maybe, and I say mediocre because I'm looking at his record. <laughs> like, he's fun to watch. But come on. Like, Nate Diaz, how many title fights has he been in? None, right? Benson Henderson. 
Oh, Benson. I no, Benson Henderson. Okay. And he lost. Didn't even know that was title. That, yeah, but but aside from that, he hasn't ne- never really been the guy. Like everybody, when the fight was announced with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, we all thought Nate was going to get killed. Yeah. So, is this the Robbie Lawler phase of his career? And if it was, maybe he missed it. It's been three years. So main event time, uh, main event at UFC two forty one. Daniel Cormier versus Steven Miocic. The rematch. The, the first one felt odd, right? Because. I don't think either of us saw Cormier knocking out Stipe. Nah, nobody did. But it happened, and now it's like, okay, they're going to run it back. To me, I thought Cormier's best thing would to be to, you know, just maybe not run this back. But you can't avoid the guy after a while. I thought he'd take the Lesnar cash out and be done. Easy money. Um, this is going to be a tough test. Stipe is and was very good. People consider him the best heavyweight in UFC history before Cormier beat him. I think that distinction is now Daniel Cormier's. Um, this, I'm, I'm picking DC. I think one man on earth beats DC. Stipe is not that man. Yeah, um, hmm, this is crazy. Stipe hasn't had a fight since he got knocked out by Daniel Cormier. That's why I'm picking DC. Like, for you to just jump back on the horse... Yeah, you got knocked out a year and a month ago. I mean, DC had one fight since. It's DC. He's at least had a fight, right? Like the last time you fought, you were looking, you were looking up at the lights because DC knocked you out in the clinch. And DC's a master game planner and a fantastic wrestler. And the thing that creeped me out about the first fight that I didn't see coming is that DC was taking Stipe's punches like they weren't shit. That's my bigger concern. Is like. All right, Stipe's knocked out a bunch of people. DC got knocked out by a John Jones head kick that he didn't see coming. Stipe doesn't have the ability to throw something that DC's not going to necessarily see coming, unless it's the kind of punch that DC caught Stipe with in the clinch, where it was a short right hand that Stipe had no idea where that shit was coming from. So between DC's ability to box in the clinch and his dirty boxing and his wrestling and his chin, I'm picking DC. I don't know if it'd be another stoppage, but I, I really don't like the fight—the fact that Stipe hasn't had a fight since the first DC fight. I don't like that at all. Yeah, I think I don't know. Conditioning-wise, that has to favor Cormier, right? It should. Like you—you you can't mimic what Cormier brings to the ring. You just—you can't—you can't do it. And, and Cormier's conditioning and just wearing your ass out. And the other thing is with Stipe, and. It's part of his charm, I guess, but being half firefighter, half UFC heavyweight champion, that shit's real cute on the surface, but it's like Pacquiao being half senator, half boxer. Like Sooner or later, someone's going to be so good that you got to be 100% something. I agree. I and agree with that 100%. I'm, I'm hoping this Steve A woke his ass up and was like, you know what? I, no, I can't take shifts at this firehouse. No, he's not everyone else. I can't give this 50% and still wear the gold. So we'll, we'll see. But I know Cormier, I mean, listen, he does his UFC on Fox stuff. He's a busy man. But he gets busy when it's time to get into fight mode. And being an AKA and being around the guys that he trains around, he, he's no slouch to me. Second, At this point, second best fighter in UFC history. So I think he goes out there and proves it. And solidifies himself as the best heavyweight in UFC history. 
I agree with this wholeheartedly. I, it's, the only thing that's concerning is the heavyweight division. One punch changes everything. It's just the way that DC took those Steve A punch for the first time. I mean, I, and I guess the interesting thing is is that when I just said that this might be the fight the year old Romero gets old against Borchina, maybe this is the fight that Daniel Cormier gets old. But I just he's just so good. Yeah. Like if there was no if John Jones didn't exist, this would be the best fighter in the world. Oh yeah, but John does. But, yeah, rough, you know. <laughs> so I mean, but I mean, you look at you know Cormier going in there against a guy like Derek Lewis. Granted, Derek had no cardio, but uh, you know that's a big puncher. Cormier finds little pockets, little ways to roll, little ways to survive. The two rumble fights. I mean, he he got hit with a a right hand from hell against Rumble. Somehow did a cartwheel, survived, came back and whooped his ass. I don't think Stipe hits like that. I don't think Steve is that type of striker. So, I mean, outside of a guy like Nganu really just sleeping Cormier, I, I don't see Steve or someone of that ill beating him. So, uh, yeah, I got DC keeping his belt and keeping it rolling. Um, let's go straight through because we got some more combat sports to talk. Boxing. And we touched on this earlier. Dre, you going to Saudi Arabia or are you not going to Saudi Arabia? Are we going to watch this fight? No one knows, right? And that's, that shit's crazy because now Andy Ruiz, and you know what? Shout out to him. More power to him. He's coming around. He's like, you know what? Fuck this. I got the belts. I know what that rematch clause says. I know what I originally signed up for. But I did that to get into the fight. Now, whatever. If you want our lawyers to, lawyers to battle it out, so be it. But in the meantime, your fighter's not going to have the belt. So what are we getting at? And he's not backing down. And I think it's a it's a great way to go. It doesn't doesn't seem like he wants to fight Saudi Arabia. He doesn't want to fight in the UK. He said he's the champion. He wants to fight in the US. It's it's a tricky hand to play because look, the, the bottom line is you know maybe Al Heyman wants to play this hand right, and and I think the play here is to dare uh, matchroom in the zone. Well, matchroom because it's like little secret here, guys. It's not necessarily a zone fight yet. It's it's not done. So it's really a, you know, Eddie Hearn and Al Heyman situation. So I think they're daring them to blink or sweeten the pot, right? And they're, so they're saying, look, AJ needs to get back in the ring. You need to make this guy a star. Andy Ruiz has the upper hand. He can prolong this shit. We can take it to court. But all we're doing is losing years on Anthony Joshua's career and his ability to become an American superstar. Meanwhile, Andy Ruiz is just sit on the bench. He bought a mansion. And he's going to relax and eat Snickers. That's, <laughs> yeah. That, that's, realistically, that's what they're doing. They're playing the game of chicken right now. Because the worst thing that Eddie Hearn could have done was announce this fight was happening in Saudi Arabia. And then for whatever reason, Ruiz is saying, no, it's not done. And if he's not contractually obligated to Saudi Arabia, not the rematch clause, to Saudi Arabia, if he didn't sign the deal for Saudi Arabia, Eddie Hearn's behind the eight ball. So now you you have to like you either look like a jackass or you sweeten the pot. The rumors are Can he back out on Saudi Arabia at this point though? Who, Eddie? Yeah. Well that that's the problem. Because you can. Saudi Arabia's not gonna be happy about not it. Not gonna be happy at all. <laughs> so so it really comes down to what are you gonna give Andy Ruiz to shut up and fight? Because on top of that, I know a lot of people think Andy Ruiz is gonna knock out Anthony Joshua in the rematch. There's a lot of people that think this. Maybe it's true, but oh, the same shit Anthony happened. Joshua is still a very good fighter. Well, but here's this is my issue, and this is, I think, what a lot of people are not paying attention to. 
Lennox Lewis, who Anthony Joshua called a clown recently, which is crazy. <laughs> but um, Lennox Lewis got knocked out by Oliver McCall and Asim Rockman. Lennox Lewis, in those rematches, doused both of their asses in gasoline and set them on fire. Yeah. He made Oliver McCall fucking cry, and he sent Asim Rockman into the next universe. Yeah. To obscurity. I, don't, I still haven't seen Rockman. So in the rematch, you've got to be thinking that you weren't supposed to win the first time. You can be as confident as you want to be. But you have to think if you're Al Heyman and PBC and, and the guys that are all with Andy Ruiz, it might lightning might not strike twice. So yeah. let's we got to make as much money as we can because Anthony Joshua is going to clean up one way or another. He's still a superstar. So we need to make as much money off of this fight as possible. Because it, let's be real, it doesn't really fucking matter where this fight is. The result's going to be the result. I don't think the judges are going to be involved in any, no matter what. I don't think it matters. They can fight in my kitchen. I think the result is going to be the same. So, they, like, all it is is, like, Andy Ruiz, he wants to get paid. And I think he was guaranteed $9 million for the rematch. Yeah. And for whatever that Anthony Joshua is getting paid, like, it's a lot of money in, the, like, in the, the, the zeros that Andy Ruiz doesn't have on his check. Andy Ruiz wants a zero. So maybe he gets it. Maybe he plays hardball. I don't know. If but it's in Saudi Arabia, that, that check to just go there... You're talking about gates? I mean, I don't know if they even sell tickets to like the pot. I don't know how that shit happened. I think it might be invited guests. So I don't I don't know how the ticket sales go, but they're gonna cut you a flat rate to go there. That's at least ten times bigger than any gate you'll pull in the US. Yeah. So you get a three million dollar gate anywhere in the US, like yo, that's a pretty good gate, right? No, Saudi Arabia is going to pay you 30 to just show the hell with streaming and sponsorships and everything. So Andrew Ruiz saying, yo, you know what? I kind of want double this. Give me 15 because at least now I'm going home with eight. You give me nine, I'm going home with three. What are we doing here? Yeah. It's not, well, it's not worth yeah. three. So if you give the man 15, Joshua takes whatever he's going to take. Still plenty of money because Saudi Arabia is going to cut that check. So I, I feel like the posturing, the posturing, it, it makes no sense. No sense at all. It, it is what it is. And we'll see what happens with this fight. I feel like it's going, something's going to have to materialize in the next month. Um, it's no secret because over, it's, it's a mess over at the zone right now because we got Canelo that is not fighting on Mexican Independence Day. We don't know what's going on with Joshua and Ruiz. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, you got to figure it out. Triple so I G think is locked in, though, right? Uh, that's not confirmed yet. Oh, okay. But seems to be heading in that direction. But it, it's just it's just a matter of, like, it seems like you, it, the two biggest names on the platform are kind of in disarray. And so somebody's got to get locked in soon. So I figure, I guess maybe you have to blink. Maybe you just give Andy Ruiz, you convince Saudi Arabia, it's like, look, don't take it out of AJ's, check, check it out of your own. Like, pay that man. Yeah. If he wants you want some extra money, give it to him. That's it. Like, yo, you guys are going to give us 30. We know you're giving the WWE like 60 a year. Give us 40. Give us 45. You just cut him the extra. Yeah. They got it. If anybody got it, Saudi Arabia got it. So you just got to yeah. go to the table and ask for more and stop playing. Go Let your man go get the belts back. So all the chips are in your, in your deck now. Like, because now, because the leverage isn't with you. As much as they think it is, it's not. So stop playing. Let your man go get the belts back. 
and then you can, you know, grandstand again and taunt Wilder, you know, a trilogy fight, whatever you want. But for right now, it's not in your, the ball's not in your yard. Go, go and get the ball back. So, uh, that's pretty much boxing <laughs> yeah. this past week. Um, big fights on the horizon, none coming up yet. Um, even though, how far are we away from the Spence fight? Um, I feel like they're ramping. Weeks? Yeah, they're ramping up like the press tour. Well, it's not so, even a tour. They're only doing one stop, and that's in LA. Uh, I, anybody who's seen, I spent. No, I didn't even post it yesterday. Um, I spent the entire day with Sean Porter yesterday, which would be Wednesday, and uh, for this feature I'm doing. And um, this, is a, this is a fun. This is a fun thing that I don't think anybody else will give a shit about except me. But I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so, like, I, you know, I got with Sean Porter. I went to a sparring session, a uh, close sparring session with him. Then we went. He went and spoke at uh, Canyon Springs High School uh, out here in Vegas. He spoke to the football team. Then we went and picked up his son. Uh, he went swimming. And then what else did we do? Uh, I went to church with him. I don't even go to church, but I went to church with Sean to see what that was like. I went to Randall Cunningham's church, which is crazy. Um, oh, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. it's a good, I mean, he's a good preacher. I mean, again, I'm not a church guy, but Randall Cunningham, I was surprised. Um, and then we went, we, he was like, we went to go eat to do the actual interview portion of this, this piece. So I, I was with him in L.A. for PBC on Fox, um, the show, and now we were doing the interview. So I'm in his car. And he's playing, like, again, this is some shit that a lot of people listen to shows and be like, I don't care. I do. So we're in this car and he starts playing songs and he's playing like Kei Trinata. He's playing, uh, what does he play? And he starts talking about Foreign Exchange. It's like his favorite group. And then he talks about like the, he, Lupe. And I was like, wait, what? So Sean Porter is like a little brother fan, which I, I had no idea. And he <laughs> The songs that, that he enjoyed, like the, the music that he likes, like he likes old school R&B, like Luther Vandross and all that stuff. I, dog, that, I told him, I was like, yo, we friends now, dog. Because like, <laughs> from this point on, because the music connects, because I started telling, because it's weird, because because I work in this boxing space, a lot of people don't know what I did previously. So I started explaining to him, because the funny thing was, you know, I've known a lot of these guys, or I've listened to their music for a long time. So I'm like, yo, so you, you like Foreign Exchange? So you listen to Zoe's album? He's like, yeah. Or Taylor McFadden, yeah. And we're like going through this list, like Kate Trinata, yeah, Flying Lotus. Like, it's weird. You learn things about fighters that endear them to you. And this is what I always say. Boxing and MMA especially do a terrible job of this. Fighters are such great people when they're not fighting. You find out things about them that, that make you fans of them. Like when I said that Errol Spence, if he could talk to somebody dead or alive, that fool said Stokely Carmichael. And I was like, yo. You might be my, my, like, I've never thought you would say some shit like that. When I heard that about Sean Porter, like the music that he likes, it added a whole new dimension on who he is. He's a big fan of Royce 5'9". Who knew? He doesn't like little Yachty. He doesn't like any of that ratchet ass rap. Who knew? Yeah, good shit by him. You guys are like kindred music spirits. Yeah, because I like anybody. If anybody on this podcast has has like signed up for my playlist on iTunes, the oral stimulation play- playlist, you found a lot of songs. You're like, what the fuck is this? And where did this come from? Like we were talking about like Swedish move, like su- songs from Sweden and shit like that. Deep house and like he's into that shit. Anyway, that excited me. That thrilled me. Y'all don't give a shit about it. I do. That's the end of boxing. Let's move on to pro wrestling, which is what I really wanted to talk about. All right. Yeah, I didn't even know you had a playlist. 
I need okay. I need to get this playlist. How about that? Everybody else in the world knows about this playlist. Coles doesn't know about this playlist. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to find that <laughs> after the show. Um, pro wrestling to wrap it up. We're gonna start off on a happy note. Actually, it's all happy this week, Dre. This no, is actually a week. It is. It's a week where you know what? You can't really be sour about anything this week. It was all right. It was a good week in a pro wrestling, top to bottom. Okay. And let's go to New Japan first. New Japan G1 Climax. Uh, we had both semifinals and then the final night. Um, I thought the semifinals wrapped up. A Block, I loved it with Kota Ibushi coming through and winning. And, you know, just how the entire thing played out and beating the champion to go through and get to the finals, which is cool. And then B Block came along and we see Jay White take it for B Block. And they booked him with the Tanahashi angle. Lose super, like, what, three in a row to start and not lose again. Super quiet. Just not lose again. And I thought he had an average tournament. And then he ends up the winner of the B block. I, listen, I told, I told y'all, I told this in the group chat. I don't know if I said it on the podcast. When people were like, oh, it seems like the Baron J. White. I was like, there's a story here. Gato has a story to tell. Never buy into the early results of the G1. Unless, like... Gato always books these things very different. He books everything different. And Jay White's losing streak had everybody writing him off. And I was like, be careful. Because if, you, if anybody has paid attention to the G1 for like the past six, six years, we haven't had a, a final that had a, 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 like a pure heel versus a pure baby face. Yeah. It's always been like guys in the middle. It's always been like you know guys that can fall on either side of the spectrum. Or Okada and Tanahashi and... Kenny Omega, like it's always guys that kind of fall in the middle. We have net, we have, I can't even think of the last time we had a pure heel in the finals. And it was Jay White. And it was brilliant for me for this reason. Because you didn't know if Jay White was really gonna win this shit. And there was a lot of people that were literally sitting there, like, I can't believe this fucker might win. I'm one of those guys. I thought he was gonna win. Cause as soon as Coda goes over on the champion, I'm like, oh, they're they're not gonna run that back. He he finished with the win. Like, you, you win, usually in G1, and you know this, but if someone's listening, they don't know. Whoever the champion loses to in the tournament is his next, like, two feuds on his way to Wrestle Kingdom, right? So they're placeholders on the way to Wrestle Kingdom, and then he faces the winner of the tournament. So as soon as Kota beat Okada, I was like, oh, he's going to be a placeholder. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, Jay White's going to win it. And I was sour. The whole time. As soon as Jay White won, I was like, man, fuck this G1. It was a gotcha. Gato got everybody. Gato got everybody. Because he booked this shit brilliantly. Now, now look, like everybody knows I, I love New Japan. This was not the greatest G1 climax tournament ever. Like, and it wasn't the greatest finals ever. But it was it was it was good, obviously. It was but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't I, we didn't get a Naito Omega it was at the A block final from a few years ago, which was out of this world great. But they were telling a story. And the story, like, and we got some really cool moments. Like, we had Moxie and Kenta on the early winning streaks, and both of them didn't factor in. Tomohiro Ishii, I, I keep saying this shit, the guy's, like, unbelievably good. And once again, had a spectacular tournament. Then we had a guy like Shingo, who shows up on the scene as from a junior heavyweight to the heavyweight, and killed it. And he didn't win. My biggest disappointment was Jeff Cobb. I didn't think Jeff Cobb, I thought he... Jeff Cobb ended up stinking like I thought Lance Archer was going to stink. And Lance Archer blew the doors off this shit. 
He did. <laughs> I don't think Jeff Cobb stunk. I mean, yeah, it's mm. not it's not ROH Jeff Cobb. Like it wasn't PWG Jeff Cobb. He didn't really hit that next gear. It wasn't Lucha Underground Jeff Cobb. It was like Jeff Cobb just had like a mediocre tournament. But at the end of the day, what we ended up seeing was we got Kota Ibushi as the white meat babyface that everybody adores, mm-hmm. facing off with Jay White, the heel that everybody hates, in a match that for once, and like a lot of people were pissed that Naito didn't make it in the final. Pissed. I get it. Again, but I was once, one of those guys. <laughs> but for once, you entered the final and you really had some serious doubt. And you felt terrible because you did not want to see Jay White in the main event at Wrestle Kingdom. Do you think Gato didn't know that and played on that shit? He knew what the fuck he was doing. I don't know if that's good heat. Is this good heat on Jay White then? I was getting Baron Corbin level heats on Jay White. Like, it wasn't like he deserved the heat. I was just like, I don't know. It, It wasn't like great heat to me. But I saw people online saying, oh, see, this is why he's the biggest heel in the company. And this just proves it and everything. I'm just like, okay. But like, he, but that's the thing. He really, is the biggest heel in the company, right? Like, but that's like Roman Reigns level of heels, where like they're nah, kind of pushing him. But but the thing but you is, don't want them to push him. It's like, not like okay, so it's, he's not Matt Taven, right? He's not. No, he's not Matt, Matt Taven. So he got pushed really fast. Once Omega and the Bucks departed, they put Jay White in the picture, and people were like, "What the fuck? Why is this happening?" And then he got pushed out of the picture. And but he's still the leader of the Bullet Club right now, which has kind of been floundering, right? Yeah. Since Omega and the Bucks left, and we'll and talk about oh, Bullet Club. What I oh, think is getting a brand new leader. Um, but so you put Jay White in this position, and it's like he's not a bad wrestler. He's just not those guys. He's not Baron Corbin. No, no. right? But he's not as good as the Okadas and the Tanahashi's. But the the final against Kota Ibushi was fucking amazing. It was. His best match of the tournament, and he saved it for the right time. Yeah, and it wasn't and, and the thing. It wasn't even the match of the tournament. I feel like Osprey versus Okada was the best match in the entire tournament. Definitely. But, but um, but man, I just they just told the right story. Ibushi won, and it seems like because now they set up uh, Okada's going to face uh, Minoru Suzuki at the London show, and you got to remember Sonata just beat Okada as well in yeah. the tournament, which was a great match. So that may be Kings of Pro Wrestling. Might go that route. So those would be his two feuds. Because, again, whoever you lose to, you fight. And then I was like, who else are you going to feud with? Well, now yeah. I get it. Suzuki's pissed about being left out of the tournament, which is a cool side angle. Man, that was smart. Yeah. Like people, We all were kind of upset because I want to see Minoru Suzuki in the tournament. We all love <laughs> Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. And then he goes in there and beats Okada clean as a sheet on the final night. I'm like, all right, cool. This makes sense. I can go with this. Like, listen, I enjoyed this tournament. I thought we had some great matches. It wasn't the best tournament of all time, but it was it was really good. And I think Kota Ibushi winning, now we're, dog, we're all going, shit, is Kota Ibushi going to be the IWGP heavyweight champion? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's a good tournament, man. It's a it, good tournament. it definitely was. And then we see uh, the two other things that really stuck out was, like you said, Suzuki – Beating Okada in the semifinal, which was really cool. I thought that was good. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. was in that match. Um, and Tanahashi thought it was a cool working tag match. But the six-man tag is the other match that really stands out. So the match itself was only eight minutes. Yeah. And the match was cool. The hell with the match. Because we see Kenta turn on Chaos and Yoshihashi turn his back on them. And... Then we see the return of Shibata. 
and he wrecks every dude, everyone. The, and we're we're also we're going to talk about this because I've seen some weird people on comebacks and doing their WWE Mark shit, and, and like it's weird. But the return of Shibata after what happened in the Okada match with the headbutts, the brain bleeding, saying he'll never wrestle again, and from what I'm hearing, he's still not cleared to actually wrestle. But I think they're getting closer. Oh, you think? I mean, he. You wouldn't hey, know I by how he was moving. It's the Daniel Bryan thing where he just came in. He's a hundred fucking percent. And it was like okay. For me, because I watched this live, and because after was well, SummerSlam, I was like, ah, I guess I watched the New Japan final. I wasn't ready because SummerSlam ended early, which was like the greatest thing ever. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm gonna watch this because people forgot that the New Japan final had an earlier start time, so it ended like three in the morning instead of like six. So I was like, let me watch this. And I'm watching, and I'm actually like, I'm editing our live blog from SummerSlam and putting together our top 10 G1 matches, um, a skeleton of that. And this six-man tag happens, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, I've checked out. I'm just like, it's another tag match. I don't give a shit. Then Kenta turns, and so I, I looked up. That's when I was like, all right. I moved over from my, my, like, I have a table that I work at, and I moved over to my couch. And I was like, I'm about to watch this, because Kenta's turning. So he joined the Bullet Club. I was like, all right, this is interesting. Kenta has not had, like, the greatest tournament. Kenta was just, he was there, but he's not the Kenta that was running Japan back before he came to NXT. He's injured, he's just not been the same. But him turning, I was like, this is smart. This gives him something to do. Joining Bullet Club, all right, this is smart because Bullet Club needs some help. Yep. So I was like, this is cool. What happened next is what I didn't expect. Because Shibata coming back against somebody, he because if you remember, Shibata's the one who brought Kenta in. Yep. At Destruction and Kobe, I think. Yep. So when Shibata does that, that that running drop kick and like the Bullet Club jumps him and Kenta's sitting on his chest Shibata style, look, there's few moments where I've like completely just marked out. Like I lost my shit. Yo, because I, I saw this shit at five thirty in the morning at work in the news station and it was running around like an idiot. I I, I lost my whole fucking mind. Like if you remember when Shibata said he couldn't wrestle, people were crying. There's a sentimental value behind Shibata. And I've, I've, I've said this before. Shibata and Ishii were like my two guys in New Japan because I just, I love their style. But I knew it'd get one of them killed and it almost got Shibata killed. So I don't know if he'll, if he'll really wrestle again, but the fact that he's, he came back on this stage and maybe facing Kenta, listen, they just sold out night one of Wrestle Kingdom by putting Shibata versus Kenta. That's, the return of Shibata, if that happens at Wrestle Kingdom, it's a two-night Wrestle Kingdom at the Tokyo Dome. That's how you sell out the first night. Hell yeah. That's, that's brilliant booking. That is phenomenal, phenomenal booking. And I saw people poo-pooing on it. was just like, Kansas is not who he was. But, dog, he needs a new life. Yeah. He gave him purpose. He's got purpose down in the Bullet Club. Gave him something to do. No, and come on. You think Shibata's not going to show out on his first match back? Like you said, the seeds were planted so long ago. Because Shibata... Shibata, I thought the whole thing with Kenta coming out was, okay, Shibata was teasing that he was going to return, because he did. And people were like, oh, he's back. And then he was like, no, this is the person. And then Kenta came out. He was wearing the Shibata shirt. And I was like, oh, okay, that's dope. I completely just dismissed anything else. But we see again, everything has a purpose. So you see that, like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, you brought Kenta here. How can you do this? How can you turn? Shibata comes back. Oh, just the hesitation drop kick that Kenta does so well that Shibata just did even better. Oh, everything, everything was perfect on that. And then, like you said, just Bullet Club jumping him after. It's, it was great. 
And now that's how you build a feud. Six months out. Yeah. Six months away from Wrestle Kingdom, I'm hype as hell. So uh, yeah. I was like like I was legitimately like, yo, I might have to go to Tokyo Dome. <laughs> yeah, we gotta do it this year. Every year we're talking about it, we're inching closer and closer. Yeah. This might but, be it. Two nights sold out. It's all right. They gotta have StubHub or something in Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm intrigued, and I love G1, and it, it, I've always loved G1 because it's like it's a bunch of weeks of like really great wrestling, and, and it doesn't. No, Go ahead. Wait. no, I was, oh. I was I was gonna say it wasn't the only great wrestling of the weekend, though. No, of course not, because we had an NXT takeover. <laughs> okay, I was steering you in a different direction. No, you but, uh, uh, No, Wait, takeover, takeover was really good as well. Um, to me, the standout match there, Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae, it's the first time they've really let Candice LeRae go. She was stuck in that Johnny feud with, Ar- with uh, Ciampa and all this stuff. We hadn't really seen Indy Candice, and now they gave her a feud. It was a non-title um, program, which was great, I thought, because this has been going to the men's spot for so long. It was cool to see the women get that non-title match, and those two showed out. And... I wanted Candice to win because I thought she'd be the best foil. And I've said this the whole time. Like, she's the super baby face to finally be Shayna. But you know what? Fucking super evil Io Shirai, that shit's great. Man. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the wrestling matches. But I, I think I said this before. The Io Shirai heel turn is, like, the best thing in wrestling right now. because Second best. We'll get to the first next. Well, yeah, okay. Um, but... This this kind of proves like this kind of kicks the whole Kabuki Warrior shit to the curb because like this language barrier shit. Who gives a fuck? Yep. Like Io Shirai, her facial expressions, her music, her moveset set as a heel, with all black. It's dog. She's amazing. You get she's, it. Like you look at it and get it. Yeah. Like this. This is amazing. But I'm. I mean. It was a great match, but the thing about Candice LeRae, it was funny because I'm watching people going crazy. Like, I didn't know Candice could go like this, and I posted <laughs> a like a, a tag team match that she had with Joey Ryan against the Young Bucks, yep. a guerrilla warfare match in PWG. Where she and was leaking. Were, oh man, like and <laughs> these aren't even the worst bumps that she's taken. But people were hitting me like, "Yo, what did I just watch?" Like y'all that have no idea, like Candice LeRae was wrestling men, and she was bumping like a monster. She took the best Cedric Alexander lumbar check I've ever seen. Ever. Yeah. It's like th- these two had the match tonight, and you can only imagine when the stakes are a little bit higher how this match will end up. Yeah. But this was this was the best, in my opinion, it was the best match on the card. And I know I know people love Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano, but that was a really good I match. Prob- but it I wasn't prob- as good. Yeah, I have a I have a problem. And I'm gonna be very clear about this problem. It should not have been two out of three falls. No, we've I, done this. I agree. I think it could have just been that. Uh, cage match and we would have been fine like there's there's this weird thing where it's like matches shouldn't just be graded on the end of the match matches should be graded like on the entirety of the match and a two out of three falls thing does something that happens that that we all knew and the reason why we all knew this is because of the regal injecting himself once if they made it uh, three stages of hell match because that's exactly what this was correct and (laughs) They announced the three stages of hell, and then you were just like, and there was no cage match, right? You'd be like, all right, cool. Somebody can win in two falls, and we'd be surprised. But the moment they made this, this cage the third fall, and Regal was like, I'm picking the state relation, you already knew that the two falls were going to be split. 
Yeah. It didn't matter. You already knew it. So for me, all I'm doing is waiting for the third fall. It, it, it doesn't, like, it sucked the drama out of the first two falls. I didn't care who won. I knew where we were going to end up. Yeah. It, and even those first two falls were fine. There was no drama in those falls, which hurt for me. Well, so, like, I, I like that it led to, I, one thing they've been doing recently is, uh, like, these cage matches where randomly they go outside to get chairs and, like, tables, and you end up with, like, kendo sticks and shit inside the cage. Um, it's been, like, the WWE shtick lately. And it makes no damn sense, right? Like, how do you get these things into a cage or into Hell in a Cell specifically? We've seen that a lot in Hell in a Cell matches when they put all these extra fucking weapons in there. It's like, is it the cell itself what's supposed to be hellish? It's supposed to be the weapon. Um, the cage made sense that there was weapons inside because you went from normal match, which featured a chair DQ, to, okay, a street match, which featured all these objects, to the cage then drops and the objects are still in the cage. That's why it made sense to me. Outside of that, yeah, I didn't need that. Yeah, I didn't need that. And, like, I think one, look, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember. Was there an axe on the cage? An axe? Like, I, I swore I saw an axe. <laughs> if, I, if there was an axe in the cage, that was the most ridiculous thing ever. Why would we have an axe? Because if you use an axe, somebody's going to die. So They break the lock with the axe, don't they? That's on the door. I, I don't care. It's an axe. Because it defies logic at a certain point. It's like, why do we have an axe in here if I'm not going to just chop somebody up? So <laughs> if that was the case, whatever. But uh, but my, that was my problem with the match. And Gargano and Cole have such great chemistry. And I still think their second match is the best. Because the first one was a two out of three falls. Had an amazing sprint to the finish. But we were there. Those first two falls, like, all right, this is cool. Can we get to the third fall, please? And that third fall was a sprint, though. We lost our yeah. fucking mind. And it was fantastic, but I had to get through those first two falls. Yeah. So I know I've seen people like crapping over Meltzer's ratings, like, oh, Gargano and Cole should have been five star matches. No, I don't think so. Oh, I think no, it was, no. I think it was fine as a four or a four point two five. Like I don't it was good, but those first two falls just made it longer. The EOS Rai cancel rematch was it surprised us and it didn't even need to surprise us because it was the first time the women had competed in a non-title match in the NXT TakeOver since, I want to say, back when Asuka debuted. There hasn't been women in right? Yeah. So they showed out. And then they shitted all over the Mia Yim and Shayna Baszler match, which I was like, yo, there's no way these two can keep up. They're done. Yeah. Because Shay- Shayna wrestles the same match. Not that it's yeah. a bad match. It's just the same match. She's fine. Like people think I hate on Shayna Baszler. No, she's fine. But that's not good enough for Takeover. Yeah, you got to be. And like I know what the match is going to be when it's booked. Shayna's going to do a bunch of submission holds. She's going to stomp on your arm. It's going to be slow and methodical, and then she's going to choke you out. Yep. She's going to give you a ton of offense, and then randomly catch you on some shit and choke you out. So it's like, and at this point she's in limbo because Ronda's gone. So what the hell do the horsewomen mean? And then on on top of that, a Shayna match never ramps up. It never hits another level. It no. stays exactly the same. The closest one was last year's uh, Women's Evolution pay-per-view. Well, it was her versus uh, Pirate Princess. Yeah. That was her best match. And that had like a little bit of another gear. And I think the Pirate Princess won that. But, and that's the thing. If Shayna Brazen, I mean, if uh, Io Shirai and Kyrie Sane can't give you the best matches in the world, I don't know what Mia Yim's going to give you. Yeah, no, nah, it was just, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't meant to do that. Surprising, though, Street Profits came through. Street um, Profits, look. That looked good. Dawkins specifically came Showed through. Out. Showed out. Because, you know, I, let's, be, let's be fair. 
lot of people think he's just the Janetti because Ford is a, a star. Yeah. But Dawkins, he held his weight, man. He he came through. Those two are funny together. And uh, there's a reason why they're on Raw every week, just in comedy spots, because it's hard to justify keeping those two off of TV. I mean, they're, they're, they're great. Montez Ford is the star. It's, I think it is weird that they show up on you know main roster television. They don't even acknowledge the NXT titles. They, they wear them. Wear them. Yeah. They wear them, but that's about it. They don't really talk about like it was weird for me, and we'll go back to take over a second. But it was weird for me to watch SummerSlam, see the NXT Tag Team Champions on SummerSlam, and nothing in SummerSlam recap Takeover. That's weird. I don't know why they didn't do that. Like, if you're a if you're a person who doesn't watch Takeover and watch SummerSlam, you see these two guys there with these titles, you're like, I don't watch Takeover, so I don't care. Maybe I should watch them if you show me a fucking highlight package showing Montel Ford <laughs> doing a five star frog splash that was insane. Show me that. Show me why I should care about these guys aside from them being funny guys. It's weird. But anyway, um, I thought TakeOver was good. My thing is this. The bar is ridiculously high for TakeOver, just like G1. This was on the lower spectrum of NXT TakeOvers, in my opinion. That doesn't mean it was bad, because people say dumb shit. You, you think it's bad. I didn't think it was bad. It was still better than a vast majority of the main roster shows, especially all of them this year. But it wasn't the best takeover, and that's okay. I don't know why people get mad about this shit. No, it was a decent takeover. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it was solid. And there, there hasn't been a bad one. So let's just be happy that there hasn't been a bad one. Yeah. Um, SummerSlam, to round it out and finish it up, wasn't bad either, Dre. No, it's but this is the thing. And I, I know I'm not grading this up against New Japan or TakeOver because that's not fair. Yeah. But, here's the but. SummerSlam did a great job with time. It respected my time. That's what WWE hasn't done in any long time, is respect my time. But there was a problem with some of these matches. Like, Ember Moon and Bailey sucked. Period. Just flat out sucked. AJ Styles and Ricochet wasn't the match that we wanted. It wasn't a bad match. And I think we looked at this match and said, wow, Ricochet is amazing. He's selling the leg. But I don't want to see these two guys in a limb working match. I want to see them do a bunch of flippy shit and go crazy. <laughs> and we didn't get, and it's SummerSlam. Like, if this was... I feel like their first match was that, though. Like, they got to give you different types of matches. Nah, they don't because they kind of blew off the feud, I think. But this is SummerSlam. This is my issue. This is my issue with SummerSlam. It's SummerSlam. SummerSlam needs to have matches that blow the doors off of everything. And when you have Ricochet and AJ Styles, two guys who we know, it's not a question of if, we know that they can have a match of the night. And then you give us a slow, like, limb-working match, you're kind of underserving the matches. And I think it, it, it could have peaked. Like, that match could have been better. It wasn't, again, not a bad match, just not an AJ Styles-Ricochet match that we expected. The finish was cool, but it just it was slow. I was surprised by that. Um, other than that, not having any really tag team matches on there, no, whatever. Um, but I think we'll jump right into the main event. Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins. Wait, wait, you skipped over The Fiend? No, nah, because that's, I'm going to talk about that last. Okay, the, okay. That, okay. To me, that was the best thing that happened. That, that on is it. the main event. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but let's, we're going to talk about Lesnar and Rollins because Rollins came into this feud. It was, it was, he was been a pretty crappy champ. He dropped the title. He's been kind of cringeworthy on the mic. And then he enters this match, and he's, the, the crowd is kind of booing him. Yeah. And then he goes, 
And I don't know who's figured this out, but whoever the whoever's the agent for Brock Lesnar matches has figured out that forget a rest hold. These matches with Brock need to be a sprint all the way through, especially with the little guys. Yeah, which is weird because I feel like you can do this with some of the bigger guys. Well, I mean, but, you but they don't book it that way. Like I don't know who the agents are for those matches. Like I feel like a Braun fight can go at the same pace. Roman Reigns fights can damn sure go the same pace. But see, uh, that's what makes this fun because, look, I know we crap on Brock Lesnar a lot because he doesn't show up or whatever, but he shows up when he needs to. And this match, like the Goldberg match at WrestleMania last year with the sprint that we were like, oh, shit, this is what we needed. We needed no rest holds. This match was perfect because Rollins came out on fire and then you started thinking, oh, is he going to get a quick finish like the WrestleMania thing? No. Oh, is Lesnar going to squash him with the F5? No. But they kept going. The only thing that bothered me about this match, and it's not even a big deal, is that we sold the ribs for a week, and this fool did a frog splash all outside the ring onto <laughs> a thing. Like, yo, do you not care about yourself? You should be dead. Like, that, this match was perfect for WWE. It wasn't a five-star match. This was a perfect Lesnar-Rollins match, and I was in it throughout. I never let up. I was like, this is great. This and the right guy great. won. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you do with Rollins from here, but I don't care. You but give this him good feuds. This, this reset what we thought we were getting at Mania. So he was this hot at Mania. We're like, cool. And then they gave him bullshit feuds. They reset him at SummerSlam with the same thing, better match versus Brock. And now they give him AJ Styles. And then you got to set him up to give him equally competitive matchups. Like there, there has to be Drew McIntyre's, a real, real ass wrestling match versus the Drew McIntyre's or... I, I don't know. Like Kevin Owens got to go back. Kevin Owens is a face now. I don't, I don't even know who else. But he needs real ass feuds. He doesn't need Baron Corbin. Yeah, and and I think they hopefully they've established that. But that match and the reason why I picked this match not just because it was the main event. It's what makes SummerSlam special. You have a match that you don't necessarily expect that I'm remembering because I'm like, yo, this is this was great. SummerSlam didn't have a lot of those matches. It felt like just a regular pay per view, and it wasn't a bad pay per view. It just didn't feel special. That like that felt special. Um, like the Kevin Owens Shane thing, like this for it to not be a blow off is kind of weird. Like Shane's still here. Uh, yeah. But Kevin Owens is it's super hot. And you know what else was weird? The Toronto crowd was a weird crowd. Well, they when were, you boo Natalia, it's it's kind of a weird crowd. Like Becky was the one that was super over. Yeah, but it's I mean, like, Natty's here because she's Canadian. How do you cheer Becky? I don't understand that. But it was it was weird because the crowd was dead in a lot of spots. Like it was either like they would they would jump up for big moves. Like if a big move happened, the crowd would be on fire. But then if it wasn't, they would just like sit on their hands. Like they were dead for the Ember Moon Bailey match. Not that I expected them to be any more than that, but they were like dead for most of the Shane Owens match, which is like an extended squash. They were kind of dead, yeah. except for when Owens came out. They, it was like they were only in it for like the big things. Um, I thought there was a great use of Dolph Ziggler. Uh, him getting crushed by Goldberg was actually kind of fun. Him calling him out, and it was cool that it happened early in the card. I think I think this card was actually paced very well as well. Yeah, it didn't I, feel I, super long. Um, let's yeah. let's get to the elephant in the room in a good way. Uh, the Fiend, his debut. This is a plus. <sighs> Everything from Finn coming out in all white. To the music and, and you know what? I thought they'd have to completely go away from the Bray Wyatt character 
Mixing in aspects of Bray Wyatt, I think, is incredible. Remixing the song, not going to a completely different song, was great. Obviously, the Lantern stole the show. And Bray, during the match, was still so conflicted. And he's playing it up. Like, The Fiend is just a split personality. It reminds me of the movie Split. Where Bray, that nice guy Bray, is still in there. And he's, he's just playing up this, this Fiend that takes over yeah, I mean, look, I graded this match an A on our sporting news grades. And people were like, you gave the match an A? And I was like, no, this is based on the presentation. Mm-hmm. Because there's one thing the WWE does better than anybody is their presentation. And this, this was unbelievable. Like, it was so special that I'm still worried. I'm still a little worried <laughs> because I'm like, because, all right, so there's this thing where Bray still, like, I keep saying this, like, how are you going to make him different in the ring? And matches like this are perfect because it's not too long where you start going, all right, he's been here too long. And I've seen too many of his moves and he looks like Bray Wyatt. But it feels so special. Like, now I just, I don't need to see the the Fiend, but once every, like, two or three months. I think that's a smart way to play it. There's some people like, put him in the title picture. No. Not yet. And normal Bray carries the promos. Firefly Funhouse carries the promos. You don't have to see the fiend. I don't need to see him wrestle. No, nope. I just need him to like. And the, and the other thing that's important is that entrance should not happen on Raw ever. It should only happen at a big pay per view. Yeah, no, he should just like, appear in the ring like he has been, right? Yeah, like so pop up mandible claws. Somebody, I like the mandible claws to finish as well. Do that. Like I don't need no long matches. I don't. I don't need any of this. He needs to be a special attraction, and keep it that way. Don't overexpose this because this, this is as perfect as it's gonna get. Shit, they kept him off Raw and SmackDown. I love it because yeah, everyone like, was asking, "Where is he? When is he showing up? Where is he?" So him not showing up is like fuck. So when he does, it's like, oh my god, the fiend is here. That's dope. Or just have him cut, you know, Firefly Funhouse promos. No, he was this again. This was perfect. This is, I mean, this was as perfect as a debut as you could get. I had my doubts. This was perfect. Finn got in very little offense, but just enough to, to make Bray a little conflicted. And the mandible claw for the stomp was perfect. Like, this was perfect. This is what the WWE is all about. This is what I love about the WWE. Yep, is that they can do this shit unlike anybody else. Give me all I the forgot. magical shit, all of it. Yeah, I forgot one thing because there was something that I really hated. The double count-out finish on the Kofi Kingston Randy Orton match. Oh, that was ridiculous. To extend it, that was ridiculous. Well, not, not even to extend it. Like, I'm actually kind of fine with them extending the feud but, because they, they built this up well. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, to extend it. That's a bullshit way to extend it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's the same thing we... It was the same exact finish and exact, same exact plot line we saw last SummerSlam between AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. Exactly. To a T. You know, talking to his kids, his family, blah, blah. It was the same exact thing. That and that's and it was and the, the weird part is I'm watching this match and like there's there were brawling in spots outside of the ring and the ref was counting and I was like oh okay they weren't outside of the ring that long and they got <laughs> nobody even saw the referee count hit him with the speed count it was just like oh one two ten you're out like what what the <laughs> and, then, and then on top of that it, it it hurts Kofi more than anybody else because. Kofi's run as champion, like, this should have been the match. Like, this should have been the match that gets Randy Orton out of first gear, and they deliver. Because Kofi needs this kind of match. He's had a good run as champion. We all love Kofi Kingston, but he needs that kind of match. And this could have been it on a big stage. 
And now, because the next big pay-per-view is until Survivor Series, and I have a sinking feeling that Kofi won't be champion by then. I don't know. It's hard to take the belt off him before then. You got... Hopefully, they did this, and the payoff is now SmackDown debut on Fox. Yeah, see. Like, they got to treat that like a pay-per-view, right? I, I know, but that's my, so that's my thing. this if, shit if, better be leading to that being the main event of the first SmackDown on Fox. But you have to, like, think about this. Because this first SmackDown on Fox, they're going to treat it like an event. Even though they, like, booked it like a Raw reunion, which is really stupid. Horribly. But if, if Kofi is the champion as we head into that show, there is a very... I have a very sick feeling that he will drop the belt at that show. Mm, I think they prepare him to drop the belt at that show. I, I think Kofi, in my mind, and it sounds weird, but fuck it. A lot of stuff I say sounds weird. Um, I, I think the blow-off between him and Orton is at that show. He's celebrating, and Brock Lesnar comes and fucks him up. And uh, I think we see Brock going against Kofi and Brock to be that champion on SmackDown. Yeah, well... Okay, fine. You just took the words out of my mouth. That's what. I, that's exactly what I think is going to happen. But I think the blow-off will be Kofi beats Randy at Clash of Champions. Okay. And Kofi's looking for an opponent because, remember, this is not until October 4th, I believe. Yep. So you got another pay-per-view. So they're going to treat that show like a pay-per-view. And I think Brock Lesnar's kind of going to disappear. And yeah. something's going to happen where Brock Lesnar's going to annihilate Kofi on that show. I don't even think they'll wait until the next pay-per-view. I think Kofi's rematch will be at Survivor Series. But okay. I think they're going to try to establish that first show. So when you go looking back... Survivor to- Series is champion versus champion, though. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, not that it has to be. It's just- yeah, that's what I'm just saying. We'll see. Yeah. But the, the fact remains is that the WWE is big on moments. And when they talk about the first episode of SmackDown, everybody remembers that Shawn Michaels turned on The Rock. Right? Like, that was, like, the thing. And you're going to need a big moment at this, this show. So it either has to do with Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar. As much as we love Kofi, he's the champ. So it's not like he can win the title yeah. on, the, on the first show. He has to lose the title. And nobody's going to want him to lose to Roman Reigns. But you put the biggest heel out there. There's a reason why Brock dropped the title. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. There's a reason why he dropped it back to Seth. And that reason is so he can go to SmackDown. Yeah. So and, and if it's on Fox, you know Fox is like, yo, we need Brock Lesnar. <laughs> we need that guy. Fuck. I yeah. don't want to see it, but that's where I think where we're going. Um, all right, before we get out of here, Bay is back. You didn't, you know, I wasn't gonna get through a whole show without mentioning Bay. Sasha Banks made her return on Monday Night Raw. Came through with the blue hair. Um, even though they used Natalia's dad's death in the angle, which is kind of unnecessary. It's been unnecessary every time they've mentioned the Anvil in the storyline. Um, Sasha, you know, crushed her, and then. Beat the brakes off of Becky with a chair, and now we have full heel Sasha Banks. So thank you, Paul Heyman, for giving us what we need this whole damn time. Yeah, I mean, look, this was fantastic. Now, this is why I said it was weird. There were people saying Sasha Banks' return was better than Shibata's. I'm like, dude, they're two oh, completely different returns. No. Like, stop. Don't do don't do that to Sasha. Don't do that, period. Sasha's return was great. Like, I love the fact that she came in with the blue hair. I love that she beat the piss out of Natalia and Becky. Uh the, the, yeah, the Night Heart thing is really weird that they keep playing with death and shit like that. But Sa- the best version of Sasha Banks has always been a heel. Always. And Becky needs a few that people care about. Yep. This is it. This no, is th- it. This is, this is great. This is carry. You take this as long as you want. That's going to be my next thing because, look, 
Charlotte's always going to be in somebody's title picture or some main match. She'll always be around. Sasha needs to be important. And Sasha as a heel, she, dude, she could take the title off of Becky and yeah. extend that feud. But it, it gives some legitimacy to, you know, Becky and Sasha. Like, Becky needs a rivalry, like a legitimately good rivalry. And the one that she hasn't had has been with Sasha Banks. No, I this agree. Is this is perfect. Hopefully they don't fuck it up. No, and, and Becky has to deliver in that match. Absolutely. Because Becky's had some decent matches. Like you said, you know, they, Kofi needs that marquee match, that stamp on his title run. This better be Becky's match. Because after this, there's no excuses. Yep. For not having a good match. Um, so that's our show for today. Thank you guys for listening, sticking it out with us. Um, next week, we're going to be coming up. We'll recap UFC. We'll talk about whatever hits the Twitterverse between now and then. And then we'll have more boxing to talk about and more pro wrestling. Make sure you guys follow us at The Corner LSN on all platforms. Please support Patreon, which we'll give you guys a special episode on there as well when we drop this, The Corner Podcast, there. And if you guys are coming out to Chicago, thank you. Thank you. Love the support. And, uh, yeah, we'll be at StarCast. So that's going to be super fun. Next week, we should have the main announcement out with uh, the full cast of people joining us. So that is going to be fun. Can't wait to see you guys out there. Until then, though, Kel Dansby on Jai's Hill. We're out. Peace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.